Welcome to Successful Parenting, where we, Jackie Rue and Robin Choquette, share practical skills for families to build resilience and healthy connections. As practicing professionals and parents ourselves, we hope this podcast is a resource for parents to grow, reflect, and learn more about themselves and their children. Our approach is simple, tangible, and most importantly, we lead with compassion for the integrity of the families we serve. This podcast should not be taken as medical advice and is intended for informational purposes only. We love our work and we can't wait to watch families gain confidence and open themselves up to new ways of successful parenting. Good morning, Jackie. Good morning, Robin. How are you doing? I'm good. It's a beautiful day and I'm excited for the weekend. It's Super Bowl. We're recording this on the Friday before Super Bowl. So Kansas City is a little rocking and going a little crazy. That is awesome. I think you're going to have fun. Are you going to watch it at home with your family? Yes, yes, we're going to do that. And we're all excited. You know, it's like back in the days of the Bulls. Remember that excitement and how they were winning and winning and winning and all the fireworks that would go off? That's what happens here. As soon as the game is over, boom, boom, you hear the fireworks. So it's fun. That is awesome. So I'm excited for this topic today that we're going to be talking about. And I think we've had a lot of listeners write in and even have some questions about this topic. So I know when we were talking about, you know, finding an expert, you had said, I have somebody really great. And so I'm just excited to have this conversation today. Yes, I am too. You know, Jackie, we did the episode a couple of weeks ago about tragedy and loss. And I think this goes right along with it. As you said, I've had several people that are dealing with it right now. And then people ask questions. So today we're being joined by Tara Tooley. And I met Tara when I moved here to Kansas City and just found her absolutely fabulous. Uh, so interesting and has a very interesting story. And we'll get into having her to talk about that. But let me tell you a little bit about her. She brings over two decades of expertise to the mental health sector. She holds a license as clinical social worker, and she's trained as an end-of-life doula, which I think is really interesting. Can't wait to hear about that. She's a survivor of cancer twice. She currently is the founder and operating Blackbird Therapy in Overland Park, Kansas. And she does a lot of work with cancer and end of life and really supporting families. In her own personal life, 22 years married, has a 20-year-old daughter, and she loves reading. She loves those true crime podcasts. I think most of us do hiking and watching football, and I'm sure the Chiefs will be part of her weekend. Welcome, Tara. Thank you. We're so happy to have you here today. I think this can be a difficult conversation, but I think it's such a needed conversation really talking about terminal illness and end of life. Can you give us more information and share with our listeners today about you and your journey? Oh, sure. As you mentioned, I am a two-time cancer survivor. I was diagnosed at 25 and 30. And of course, that really kind of changes up yeah. your, your views and, you know, kind of grasping with like mortality at, you know, age 25. What a young age. Yeah. Didn't have a family history. I was a vegan, non-smoker, non-drinker, worked out all the time, wasn't expecting it. And when I was told that I had cancer, the oncologist had came into the room and he's like, this is the most aggressive cancer I've ever seen. And I'm like, great, I'm going to die. And, but then, you know, I think he kind of like realized his error and he's like, well, 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 like on the Petri dish, on, on, in the lab. And 
But I, you know, it was like, yeah. too late, buddy. It's been said. It's out but there. Yeah. It just basically just dealing with your, your mortality. And then you see other people like in the waiting rooms, getting their chemotherapy, radiation surgeries, and just kind of like face to face with it. So that really changed my career and the things that I wanted to specialize in. Your entire life gets flipped upside down and then trying to deal with that at such an early age to hear your story just really, I think is very inspiring. So thank you for what you do. Oh, yeah. Well, it had to be so scary for you. I mean, just everything that you've dealt with over the years. I know I can definitely relate while different. When you think about how you've managed and resources may be available for you, do you have any suggestions to listeners on just what to say, even when someone shares their information about what they are experiencing regarding a, a serious illness or even what, you know, for someone that is experiencing a serious illness, you know, kind of how much to share? I think, you know, like obviously what somebody shares is completely up to them and what they're comfortable with. I think for the person who's maybe be hearing the story, I think they really just basically need to just listen actively. And you want to listen more than you speak. Mm -hmm. I think it's so important to allow the person to lead the conversation. And they may or may not feel comfortable discussing all aspects of their treatment and diagnosis. And there's definitely a need to respect their privacy. I think another thing that's really important that a lot of people miss is just acknowledging their feelings, saying something like, you know, this must feel overwhelming, or this must feel very frightening. But do do not, and I repeat, do not minimize the feelings by saying something like, oh, it's all going to be okay. You're going to be all right. Or offer unsolicited advice. That happens frequently. And so this isn't the time to share alternative treatments that a friend of a friend tried in a foreign country or try to sell them on products like vitamins or some miracle cures. Also, and this really goes without saying, but you would be shocked by how many times I hear this story. And it happened to me personally. You don't want to share about a relative or a friend that had the same diagnosis, but they died. And oh. it, and that, that always like blows my mind, you know, when, yeah. when people say that. I think people are just so uncomfortable with the topic that they just get like almost like diarrhea of the mouth and just start saying crazy things. But I think instead, if you're going to speak like offering specific support, don't say, let me know if you need anything and just keeping it really general and vague, but offer a specific type of help, practical support, running an errand or, you know, driving them to medical appointments, because there's going to be a lot of doctor's appointments that they probably need a ride to. I've even heard of some people just showing up on the same day and same time of every week and just being like, Hey, I'm going to do your laundry for you. So just specific help. Oh, I love all of those. Cause I think that is so true. And so many of us will say, just let me know, but jumping in and starting that I think is a good thing, something I hadn't really thought about. How does a parent start that conversation with a child about a terminal illness or really serious? What should they share with a child? What should they not? Any guidelines for us? I think the first thing for a parent to think about is the space that they're going to have the discussion. You know, you want to find a comfortable setting, something that's private limit distractions, no TV playing in the background, no phones on or anything like that. So I think the first thing is just where are we going to have this conversation? I think of course, and this, you know, kind of goes without saying, but using the clear and simple language that's age appropriate for the child, because obviously how you would explain something to a five-year-old would be different than a 12-year-old. One of the things that's so important is to be honest, but hopeful. For example, if 
a parent is the one with the terminal illness or with a serious health issue that's just been discovered. The parent wants to be truthful about the situation, but you want to still maintain a sense of hope. One thing that I see, it's really kind of detrimental, but it's like, don't make unrealistic promises. Everything's going to be okay. But instead, focus more on the support and the love that the kids are going to continue to receive. Let them know that they'll be kept up to date with any changes, but also explain that there's lots of unknowns at this time, which is so true with any type of medical condition that, you know, we're just going to take this day by day. I think encouraging questions is so important because the child may be sitting there taking it all in and they're shaking their head like they're understanding, but they may have all sorts of questions. So just always, you know, let them know that it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to express their feelings, but you have to be prepared to answer the questions honestly. But it's also okay to admit that I don't have all the answers right now. There's still a lot of unknowns. The biggest, biggest thing is just to provide the reassurance, reassure them about the plans in place for their care. For example, a lot of times households, they may have like extra family members or friends coming in to live with them or just, you know, to stay in the home. And I think that the kids need to know that, you know, they're going to be taken care of. And that's so important. I think encouraging the kids to foster their connections, you know, they already have probably a natural support system in place. So we want to maintain those connections. We don't want to like pull the kids away from them and not have them do if they're involved in sports, take them out of that or keep them out of school. We want to really maintain those connections. Yes, yes. Incorporate the memory making activities. And I think a lot of times, especially if you've been diagnosed with a serious illness as a parent, that's kind of like the very first thing you kind of think about because you want to incorporate those memory making activities, basically family outings, photo opportunities, making a scrapbook together. And then of course, you know, just knowing to seek professional support because you don't have to do this alone. Yeah. Well, and I think that's really helpful because I think every individual is different and some really want to talk about it. Some people I know are very private, just depending on the setting you're in. For me, I think I even tend to be a little bit more private that when I'm in a certain environment, I don't want people asking me questions like that because then it might you know bring up a lot of stuff. So I think everyone is truly so different and, and you've definitely alluded to that. Mm-hmm. And I've had clients that talk about when they have other family members Do they pry? Do they ask questions? Do they not say anything? And I've advised just sometimes just saying, you know, I'm here for you if you ever need anything, but not necessarily diving into a bunch of specific questions because I think it can be overwhelming. Would you agree? I think you have to like read the room. If if the kid feels, yeah, like if the kid feels overwhelmed and you can just kind of sense it in their body language, then, you know, you back off and and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sometimes I love how you said age appropriate too, right? Oh, yeah. Because I always say, you know, just because we as an adult or as a parent has a, a certain reaction or experience. Experience, it doesn't mean that that's the same reaction or experience as the child. And sometimes we have a tendency to project right. our experience onto little ones, right? When it might be completely different. Oh, I see that so frequently in my private practice. It's the maybe a parent that's really having difficulty, but they're calling, oh, my kid, you know, <laughs> needs therapy. And the kid is doing much better than the parent. <laughs> mm-hmm. so. Especially when that parent relates to that child and can see themselves in that child, then they start to really all of this predicting. And Jackie, you say that all the time is how you perceive your child is how you're going to react your child and to have that awareness. Oh, definitely. Are there any suggestions or even guidelines that you could share today about how to handle any kind of updates or 
or prognosis with child and adolescents. Maybe the doctors talk to them. Should they tell the child, you know, what's going on? Should they share that information with the child and how real should they be? I think it's really important to give them updates. But of course, you know, keeping it age appropriate. Working with kids and families for so many years, I truly do not believe that you can hide this information from the kids because they're typically pretty good energy readers. They know if something's off and that can feel like so much more upsetting to know that something's not quite right, to know that something's off, but nobody's really talking to them about it. So I think then we see a lot, they express it because, you know, like with anger, impatience, you just see a lot more like problem behaviors, because like nobody's really talking to them. You don't have to tell them everything. But you know, they're going to obviously see if they notice, for example, like mom is sleeping more, or mom's not really going out of the house much. I mean, they're, they're going to know these things. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think keeping them updated at an age appropriate level is really important. Yeah. Any suggestions on how to help them adjust to news, whether it's really great news or, you know, not so great news? I think there's a lot of things in terms of adjusting, especially if it's getting more serious. You want to obviously, first and foremost, is validate their emotions. This is also building like their emotional intelligence. They can name the emotions and know that it's okay to have anger, sadness, and fear. And just knowing that they'll always have somebody that's going to listen to them and support them, you know, whether it be the parents, whether it be other friends, family members, teachers. One thing that's kind of like over missed in this is that we want to provide the outlets for their emotions. So what I mean by this is allowing for creative outlets for expressing those emotions. And that could look at something like art, music, writing, even sports, it can offer the therapeutic ways for children to kind of process their feelings. And I think that that's really important. So I when I ask this question, what is the role end of life doula, what it would look like what you do? It really depends. Every family's needs is a little bit different. I think a lot of people when you hear death doula or end of life doula, you think of somebody who's just sitting with a person as they're in their hospice bed and just sitting there. And there are some doulas who can do that because I think people are really familiar with like a birth doula. You know, they have their birth plan of how they want everything to go down, who's going to be in the room when the baby's born, you know, is there going to be music playing, you know, all that type of support. Well, a death doula is very similar, but just kind of like reverse that. So kind of help them. Okay, if you're entering into hospice, what room do you want to be in in the house? Are there certain scents that you want to utilize through candles, through sprays? Who do you want to come and visit you or who is going to be a stressor and maybe people you don't want coming to visit you? How are updates going to be handled? Planning for a funeral, if that hasn't been done, like helping them, assisting them with that. One thing that's kind of becoming a trend is people are doing funeral weather alive. If somebody wants to do something like that, having like a living memorial, that's something a death doula can kind of help plan out. Oh, wow. Yeah. The kids wanted to do a legacy project. You know, a death doula can work with the kids and the families to create something. It's really whatever the family wants. And there's usually a doula for that. (laughs) Interesting. And I think giving me a lot to think about just because some of this is stuff that we don't necessarily always think about. And I'm sure there's a lot of resources out there, right, too, for families in terms of just books and support groups? Yes. I think like, you know, depending upon the type of illness they have, if somebody was getting like cancer treatments, 
of course, like you could always like reach out to the oncology social worker, they're full of resources, support groups, things like that. If somebody's Mm -hmm. in hospice, then like, you know, just speaking to a hospice nurse or the hospice social worker, because they're going to be really familiar with the resources in that area. If somebody wants just more like a general type of support group, probably Facebook is the best resource. You could type in anything in a search bar in Facebook, you will probably find a bunch of different support (laughs) groups. Yeah, for that. And also too, if people want to get into counseling, I think psychology today, I feel like I'm doing an ad for psychology today, but I feel like it's a really good source. Narrow your search by zip code, by like grief and loss, and you could put in your insurance and see, you know, what therapists are taking your insurance. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's a really good source of resources as well. Right. Should the parents share And how much should the parents share with the school staff, teachers, coaches? I think that it's absolutely important to share that information. It's best to get all the support and encouragement, you know, your family can get. Going back, I think the school social workers may even be able to offer resources to the family if there's any kind of financial needs. So many people, I think, forget about the resources that school social workers have. And if you work with the terminally ill or people with chronic health issues, it's pretty well known that a lot a lot of times there are financial struggles because it could be a two earning income family. And then all of a sudden there's just one income. Mm-hmm. All of us know who've had medical issues. There's so many out of pocket expenses that you have to pay. In fact, medical reasons is the number one cause of bankruptcy. School social workers are very well versed in terms of maybe helping with some financial support takes that burden off the families, but just even for the teachers in the classroom to just kind of know what's going on. So if there's some behavior issues, you know, they can maybe pull the child out and just kind of talk to him one-on-one. And, you know, maybe that day the kid just needs somebody to talk to. Yeah. Just to be there in support and to listen. I think we are wrapping up. Jackie, is there any other thoughts that you have or questions? No, no, this is helpful. I mean, this is a tough topic. Yeah. Obviously no one wants to think about children and being ill, but it, it really is something that happens just knowing how to navigate it. And I think a lot of children, even, you know, in school will know someone that's sick. having these conversations, you know, I think, sometimes as a parent, we don't always think about it. Okay, maybe, you know, it's not really our child, but talking to our kids about how they even speak to other children in their class and kids they know, you know, our children are going to run across another child that is dealing with some type of illness, right? Yeah, I think that working in hospice and just kind of working with this population, the biggest thing for the person who's, you know, has the terminal disease, their biggest concern is they want their kids, they want their family to feel supported and taken care of. Anything that other parents can do for those kids, you know, taking them to a sports practice or taking them to games or having extra play dates because they really want to make sure that their kids are being taken care of or their spouses feels like they're being supported, thinking in terms of that when offering assistance. Definitely, definitely. Okay, Robin, take it away. Here are three questions we ask every guest. You may choose from one, two, or all three of the questions. It's your choice. Okay. Number one. What did you do as a child or teenager that would drive your parents crazy? What is the biggest difference between children and teenagers today and when you grew up? And number three, what does successful parenting mean to you? I could do them all. Okay. (laughs) So my parents had it really easy with me. I was really driven and self-motivated. I was always on high honor roll, did all the activities, full-ride academic college uh, scholarship, didn't go to parties. So I think I was part of nerd culture before I was popular, (laughs) before shows like the Big Bang Theory. Plus I was like Generation X and we raised ourselves. So... (laughs) 
that's good. Oh, the difference between kids today versus, you know, like back in the day. I'm going to go with the obvious on a social media and the impact on mental health. Yeah. There's there's such a, yeah, there's like growing body of research that keeps like linking like heavy social media use to like increased risks for anxiety, depression, loneliness. And it's, you know, partly due to cyber bullying, social comparison, uh, the pressure to maintain a certain online image. I mean, I know kids who will delete whole social media posts because it didn't get enough likes. And I just feel fortunate I was able to grow up in a time without social media. Yes, I, I feel that too. <laughs> Yeah, like all the comparison stuff wasn't there. (laughs) Thank you so much for taking the time. I mean, again, this topic is one that is so important. And thanks for sharing your story and and just all you're doing to support other families. I think it's really amazing work you're doing. Oh, thank you. Yes, it is great. And listeners, we will have all of Tara's information in the description. Plus, she has provided us some resources and we will definitely have those in the description as well. And thank you so much for listening. I think that's a wrap. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much and I hope everyone has a great day. Yes. Bye Jackie. Bye. Have a good day. Bye Tara. Thank you for joining us and make sure to subscribe and like us to catch our next episode where we will take you on a journey to find new ways of successful parenting.